the Lord Christ, who is here, has finished important work on our behalf. The Lord Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Are you at rest? Have you found deep, whole person, soul rest in Christ Jesus? Let me say some of our words back to us. A few metaphors that are common. I'm beat. I'm burned out. I'm wiped out. I'm spent. I'm shot. I'm sapped. I'm fried, I'm cooked, I'm baked. I'm drained, I'm pooped, I'm frazzled, I'm coming apart at the seams. I'm wearing thin, I'm worn out, I'm strung out, I'm wrung out. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm hanging on by a thread. I'm running on empty, I'm running on fumes, I'm out of gas. I'm dragging, I'm run down, I'm zonked. I'm sinking fast. I'm about to crash. I'm ready to drop. This project, this job is eating me alive. I'm dog tired. I'm bone tired. I'm dead tired. 32 metaphors for I'm exhausted. Metaphors work in a culture when everyone understands what they mean instantaneously And the words flow from us and we create them because they nail us. They express our deep feelings and intuitive hunches about reality. Eighteen more figures of speech. I'm running myself ragged. I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I'm chasing my tail. I'm under a pile. I'm under an avalanche. I'm snowed under. I'm stretched too thin. I'm stretched to the corners. I'm weighed down. I'm overloaded. I'm overtaxed. I'm swamped. I'm drowning. I've got too much on my plate. I'm spinning too many plates. I've got too many plates in the air. I'm working myself to the bone. He's going to work himself to death. So 32 metaphors for I'm exhausted. 18 for I'm overworked. Too busy. What is it about us that has us, one more, spinning our wheels and getting nowhere? Exhausted and overworked, but not feeling a sense of hopeful traction. God offers to his people a practice called Sabbath that is a wonderful gift that I want to look at with you today. I want to look at the passage that was read first, Leviticus 25, verses 1 through 7, because it's the kind of thing we hear about it from the Old Testament. If we'll slow down and process what God was actually giving to his people, it might, in a positive sense, arrest us and give us rest. In Leviticus 25... Here's my preface to it. God said, you will take vacation every seventh year for the whole year. Can I get an amen? All right. 
Leviticus 25, 1 through 7. I know it was read for us. Let's, let's read parts of it slowly again. This is the word of Yahweh. Yahweh spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. This came from the mountain where Moses ascended above the people and above the elders and up into Yahweh's presence. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, Yes, I'm the generous God. The whole creation is mine, and I've got a place for you. It will be like a new Eden. I'll take you like new, a new humanity and put you in a new place, and I will dwell with you. I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I'm going to give you this place. I'm giving it to you, a land flowing with milk and honey, a promised land for you to flourish as my people in my presence. And when I give you that land when you come into the land that I give you the land shall keep a sabbath to Yahweh don't forget the land belongs to me now we know that the fallow year is a good idea and we know lots of reasons that uh, soil does well and grasses do well and all kinds of creatures do well when the land gets a fallow year but note in this passage this is it's beyond that Yahweh has great wisdom. He understands how his creation works. But he's saying the year will get a year of rest, and it's a rest to me. Don't forget whose land this is. Don't forget who owns all things. Verse 3, for six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to Yahweh, here's that God-centered perspective again. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Verse 5, you shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. So you heard it, verse 1, this is the word of Yahweh. There in verses 3 and 4, it's a Sabbath to Yahweh. This is a year-long vacation which is an act of worship. A year of rest, which is a year of worship. A year of remembering who belongs to who, and as we'll see, who feeds who. But here's the primary requirement for a whole year. Yahweh says to his people, stop. If you can remember these three words, you'll understand today's sermon and you'll be ready to come to the table Stop, eat, share. If you can remember that, you get the whole thing. Stop, eat, share. And where are they going to do this? On the land that Yahweh gives them. Stopping in Leviticus 25 is about remembering who feeds who. Do you remember that wonderful passage? I bet Aubrey's preached it three times in his years at uh, Incarnation. I know he loves it. Maybe he hasn't done it much. But Deuteronomy 14, do you remember that passage of Deuteronomy 14? Uh, in Deuteronomy 12, you're told that the people are looking into the land, and they're told that you're not going to worship all around uh, wherever the tabernacle goes, but Yahweh's going pr- to choose a central location for his name to dwell, and that's going to be the place of worship, and you're going to go to your festivals that central place. And Deuteronomy 14 moves along and tells them, One of the tithe laws. In Deuteronomy 14, Yahweh says, you're going to gather up the tithe 
And you know what they did? Yahweh says, you're going to gather up the tithe and you're going to eat it in my presence. You're going to gather up the grain and the wine and the firstborn of your cattle and the oil. And you're going to bring all that, that tithe, that which belongs to me, that which, which, that which reminds you that this is my land, that you're my people, that all this is my gift to you. And ultimately I'm the landowner. And you're going to bring your tribute before the great king and you're going to eat it in the king's presence. That's Deuteronomy 14. And it's so great. Here's how generous and gracious Yahweh is. Then he says, now some of you are going to live too far from the central sanctuary. Because there's just going to be one central sanctuary. And if you live too far from it, it's right there in Deuteronomy 14. You get up your tithe and you sell it. And you take money and you put it. And remember those old pictures of, we used to call them hobos. They had a lot of on a stick. That's basically what Yahweh said in Deuteronomy 14. It was just, anyway. Uh, Put it, put it in your sack. Bring the money to the, to the area where the central, central sanctuary is. And here's what Yahweh said. Buy whatever you like. Whatever your heart desires. What kind of meat do you want to barbecue? Buy it. Just no pork. Uh, what do you wine or strong drink? Whatever you desire, take the money, go buy your favorite foods, and come and eat in my presence and rejoice. This is who Yahweh is. The Yahweh who says, the God who says to his people, yes, you were slave people for 400 years, and I've brought you out of the house of bondage, so you'll work six days, but you're going to rest one in every seven. Every single week, you get a vacation day. Pharaoh is not your God. Ra is not your God. I've redeemed you and made my people, and you will rest one day in seven, but not just one day in seven. Why in the world does Yahweh bring out this legislation? I mean, he understands farming for sure, but think about the generosity of it for a people who've gone through the wilderness, and now they're going to go and receive this gift land. And his word is, when you get that land flowing with milk and honey, that rich, verdant land. Every seventh year, the land will have rest. And yet, you will eat. So let's look at the, you might be saying, but wait a minute. (laughs) I think what the passage said, Robbie, is there's no work on the production side. And I think it said there's no work on the harvest side. So how are they going to eat? That's a great question. Look at it with me in verse, the beginning of verse 6. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for you and a list of people. Well, that's the plan. Does it make sense? <laughs> Think about it for a minute. Go back and you read the first few verses of Leviticus 25. There's no working on the production side. Nope, don't prune those vines. Don't sow. You're not doing for a whole year. This is Yahweh's really saying stop. There's no work done on the production side. And then on the harvesting side, there is no gathering up and storing up. You can't work the production side and you can't work the harvest side. But then he says, the land will produce food for you. Um, We're kind of having a fallow year in our little uh, downtown back garden this year. Uh, We haven't planted yet. And we've got four tomato plants coming up uh, next to the last few years' gardens. And one, 
uh, up against a fence where we throw things that we want to die. Um, and so there's just tomato plants coming up everywhere that we didn't plant. So think about it. How are they going to eat all through those various seasons since they can't work on the production side and they can't work on the gathering harvest side? It's all like daily manna again. And they're all daily gleaners again. And every day they go out in their fields and they trust that God is going to provide what they need for that day. Give us this day our daily bread. And they would eat that way for a whole year. And Yahweh says, trust me. Because ultimately... You do not eat by your own labors. Ultimately, you feed by my generous hands. Uh, Do you have a great career? Are you very smart? Are you very successful? Yahweh gave you all those gifts. Do you have the Midas touch? You touch things and they just go really, really well. That's how God made you. And he also gave you probably all kinds of privilege training that lots of people don't have. God is very generous. And so a major principle through the book of Deuteronomy is uh, don't be proud if you're wealthy because everything that comes into your hands is God's gift. So they stopped a whole year, 12 months of no working. And they ate. But also I want you to see that they shared who benefits from the gracious year-long party in the fields six and seven again the sabbath of the land shall provide food for you for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired servants and the sojourner who lives with you i'll go back to verse seven later look at that who benefits from the gracious year-long party you your family your servants and the refugee think about that how would that reshape the imagination of God's people. All year long, the wealthiest landowner and his children and servants and the sojourner who's running from oppression from a foreign empire, they all go out and they just get what they need for their daily bread that day. And no one has more right or less right to the produce. Now that would wildly reshape the imagination of a people. That every seventh year, we're not allowed to work. We're told to let the land have its own Sabbath. And we all go out and our God who gave us the land and gave us these bodies and gave us these strengths. Calls us to go out in the field. And our servants and our slaves and the sojourn or the refugee, they have an equal right to what grows by the generosity of God. Give us this day and our neighbor our daily bread. About five weeks ago, it was a Saturday, and our our, uh, granddaughter had just been born. And we were going to gather at my son-in-law's house with my daughter and the baby. And um, I had been very busy. I'd missed a few days of hanging out with everybody. And 
uh, someone was bringing them di- dinner because they just had a baby, and I was supposed to bring dinner for Chrissy and me, and uh, I went to the, to the restaurant where we knew exactly what to get off the menu. It's like two blocks from our house, La Altania, great food, and uh, I call them, and I, want, I really want to get my act together, and I have kind of been fumbling things, so I want to get, I'm meeting Chrissy there, I want to get, I want to get there with our food on time, and I don't want to be the guy that messed up the schedule, and I'm sometimes, often, I'm the guy that messes up the schedule. So anyway, I'm really working on getting it done right. I call the restaurant, it's on speed dial, you know, and they don't answer. I'm like, oh man, I guess they're busy. I call them again as I'm driving over, they don't answer. I call them again as, I, as I'm walking up, they don't answer. I walk up to the door and there's a handwritten sign, uh, we're closed today, be back in three days or something. Like, ah, what am I going to do? Well, there's this uh, Super Carniceria Loa number seven is right around the corner from it, which is a grocery store, and they have food for sale inside of it. Um, and I love that food, and I, I don't know if Chrissy loves it or not. You know, I know what she likes from La Altania, so I go in there, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get the, the closest thing they have on their menu to what she is expecting, what I told her I'd get for her, and I go in there, and I go back to where, the, where you get the food, and I begin to order the food, and the woman looking at me, she speaks very little English, I don't speak enough Spanish, I know this one phrase, yo tengo alergia en mi brazo, which means I have an allergy on my arm, besme mucho, kiss me a lot, so it doesn't really work ordering food, and um, so I go there, and I'm starting to talk, and she's looking at me kind of like, you don't know what you're doing, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, and I'm trying to order food, and she's being very accommodating, she's being very very accommodating. And then she begins, she goes back behind where I can't see her to get the food. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. That's not how their system works. So in this restaurant, what's really a grocery store, you go to the grocery store first, you make your order at the cash register, then you bring the receipt, then they make the food that you've already paid for. And I blew the system. So I was like, oh, I got to go do that. So I run over and now there's a very long line at the cash register and I'm standing in line to pay for my food, to take my receipt back to her. And then I realize I'm in this long line. I'm now, I'm probably running late already. I'm in a long line. And I'm thinking, oh, that woman's going to come back to bring my food out. And she's going to think, I just left because she can't see me. So I stand in this line. It's moving very slowly. And I'm a minority. And everyone around me knows the language. And everyone around me knows the systems. And I don't. And here's what's true. For about eight minutes, I was really stressed out. Two blocks from my house where for a temporary moment I was a minority and where I was maybe going to show up 10 minutes late. And it was so good for me to have that stress. And I began to think about all the refugees in my city and how this is their daily experience. And my friends in Clarkston, Georgia, that work where World Relief is situated in right on the border of Atlanta, and they have tens of thousands of refugees living there, my friend told me that 85% of immigrants and refugees that come to North America, to the United States will never be invited into an American's home. 85%. And this beautiful Sabbath practice where God looks at us and says, I'm generous, you can trust me. My hands are open to you. You have everything you need. And I want you to live lives of deep rest and open-handed, open-heartedness where others can enter into the rest and others can feed on the bounty and enjoy it and come to know me. That was an ancient picture 
of stop, eat, and share. Jesus, as we know, is the fulfilled picture, right, of this ancient picture. Jesus came as Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, we, uh, Aubrey knows I'd like to talk about this for like the next two hours, but you want to go home. And, uh, but so I'm just going to zip line to one way that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. On the sixth day of the most holy of weeks, Jesus finished the work he came to do in his first coming, hanging on a cross in the place of wicked stewards, in the place of people who have forgotten that God is generous, in the place of people who've refused to show hospitality and be generous. Jesus hung on the cross in the place of the wicked. And what did he say from the cross on that last day of the week? On that sixth day, it is finished. And then he entered into deep rest. And on the first day of the next week, he rose from again as the Lord of the whole new creation. And so Jesus, who has finished the work on our behalf and liberated us from sin and guilt and shame and hopelessness, is the one who said it is finished. He's risen again to reign over all things and invites us to know him as our Savior, our Lord, our friend, the one who has determined to share his inheritance with us. And you know, of course, in that act on the cross when he said it is finished, Jesus is the great debt payer. The record that stood against us was canceled. It was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2 says. And that makes us think of the sabbatical year because in Deuteronomy 15, that was one of the practices of the sabbatical year. In the seventh year, you forgave debts. This whole thing sounds like the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus, the debt payer, invites us to his table. And he sends us from his table to share. See, Jesus finished the work. And then in a deep and important way, uh, we can stop striving... In that godless way, resting in the finished work of Christ, acknowledging that our debts are paid, acknowledging that the king now invites us to his table even today to feed and nourish us. I love how Aubrey used Song of Solomon. I really believe that when we come to the lamb's table, he's going to say to his bride, the church, arise my love, my lovely one, come. The winter is past and the rains are gone. The storm season is over. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. So Jesus invites us to this table. This table anticipates that great day, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. But Jesus sends us to share. I just want to end by looking at the scope of the party from Leviticus 25. I'm going to read verse 6 and now this time read verse 7. And let's see the whole creation restored in a picture The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired servant and the sojourner who lives with you. And 
Yahweh, the creator God's generous giftedness, and for your cattle, that's the domestic animals, and for the wild animals that are in your land, all its yield shall be for food. What? Are you saying that the wolf and the lamb will lie down together? They'll gather in the same field? So what do you have here? You have the rich and the poor, the ethnically different eating together. You've got the domestic animal and the wild animal. You've got a picture of Isaiah 11 before Isaiah says that's what it's going to be like when our Savior comes. You've got a picture of the new creation. Isaiah 65 tells us once again that the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. And the sabbatical year anticipated all that. So you and I are called to be people who learn to rest and stop. We pause here and be practical for just a minute. We're, we're looking at Yahweh's picture of a whole year of rest. Jesus Christ has come and finished the work on our behalf and risen again as Lord of the new creation. The pattern of resting one day in seven is a creational ordinance. And the Lord of the Sabbath says that you are not fodder to feed the Sabbath machine. Rather, the Sabbath was made for you. Will you receive wisdom? Will you learn to stop and rest? Some of our hearts were shaped in homes or schools or by coaches and definitely by our culture that taught our hearts. You can never stop. You can never do enough. I'm never pleased with your effort. There's always more to do. No rest for the weary. Do more. I'm not satisfied with you. You're not trying hard enough. And some of us have deep, deep, deep internal training that tells us we cannot rest. And if we don't do it, no one else will. You better not put that broom down. Chaos will ensue in a second if you take a break. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit say to the people of God, I have you covered I designed you, I made you, I know you, I have invested beyond what you can imagine or measure that you would flourish. So if I tell you to stop, you can trust me, you can trust me, and you can become whole. Learning to stop is really really hard. We have internal reasons and deeply practiced ways in our culture and just any new practice is difficult to begin. And this one for some of us is incredibly difficult to imagine just taking one full day off of rest. For some of us, it's, it's too, it feels like a burden. And if, if a whole day of rest and stopping and not working feels like a burden, that's a great clue to a desperate need to hear from the Lord about his goodness and his wisdom and his provision and his intention to rebuild your wholeness and not allow you to see yourself as a slave who must bring more bricks and gather your own straw. Jesus 
the Lord of the Sabbath is here. I heard you all confess it earlier. Amen. Jesus, because of his great love for us, gave himself up for us. We have a gracious past. Jesus, because of his devotion to us, will bring us on to glorious perfection. You and I have a glorious future, a gracious past and a glorious future. How are we going to get from the gracious past to the glorious future? Our husband is here, and because he cherishes us, he's here today to nourish us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us taste and see that this is true at your table? Amen.